0: Hey everybody, Dr. Axe here. Welcome to the show today. Today we are going to cover a topic that I love and it is brain and neurological health. We're going to talk about how to end Alzheimer's with Dr. Dale Bredesen. And you know, Dr. Dale has got an amazing background. He earned his uh, MD degree. He's a medical doctor uh, from Duke University Medical Center. Uh, also, he served as chief resident in uh, neurology at the University of California, San Francisco. And also, he's a New York Times best-selling author of the book, The End of Alzheimer's. And he has another new book out. And he's seen as one of the pioneers in research and really bringing to light all of the new things that we're finding out when it comes to cutting edge treatments, when it comes to dementia, neurological disease, and Alzheimer's. I want to welcome to the show, Dr. Dale. Thanks
1: so much, Dr. Josh. Really appreciate you having me on. Thank you.
0: Well, I know that this is a topic that affects so many people. You know, I know for myself that has a family member who, and several family members who have had cancer, I know really how that affects you. I know also some close friends of mine who have had, it's actually several close friends, who have had family members uh, who have gone through Alzheimer's. In fact, a team member of mine. Someone who I'm close to who has done incredible things for her company, her father was diagnosed with Alzheimer's just last year and had to go, you know, and and it was a very more of a quick decline. And just seeing what that did to the family just really makes me more than ever want to talk to you and have you bring to light some of the things that we can start to do to both prevent neurological decay and also some holistic and more natural things we can do to both diagnose and treat it naturally. So just want to let you know, I am so excited about what you're going to share today. And we'd love to start off, like what what caused you Uh, to want to focus on this and, and really devote your life to helping people with neurological disease? Yeah,
1: you know, many years ago, I was a freshman in college. And I read a book called Machinery of the Brain by Dean Wooldridge of Thompson Ramo Wooldridge fame, and got interested in the relationship between how computers work and how the brain works. And of course, that led me to realize, oh, my gosh, you know, what happens when the brain goes wrong? And as you probably know, this is, you know, this is now the third leading cause of death Uh, Professor Christine Yaffe from UCSF has done serial autopsy evaluations showing that this is really now the third leading cause of death. So just as you just said, it affects all of us. Just about everybody has someone in the family or a friend who's been affected. And as they say, everyone knows a cancer survivor. No one knows an Alzheimer's survivor. So this is the area of greatest biomedical therapeutic failure. And I got interested in this to say, okay, why are we failing? Why is this? It's a huge problem. It's a trillion dollar global problem. And yet nobody has anything that's really helpful. Why is that? So the whole lab idea was, let's figure out how this works mechanistically. Then we can go after, start fashioning effective treatments.
0: Now, one of the things that I think, uh, you know, when when people are looking you up, they're going to learn more about things like functional medicine. Talk to me about what made you land on using functional medicine as your approach to the brain. You know, this is such a great point, and obviously, you're a huge leader in this area. We, we, I did not
1: know anything about functional medicine, so we came at this completely differently, which is one of the reasons I believe so strongly in functional medicine now, because we came from the test tube. We didn't come from reading a book. I didn't know who Jeffrey Bland was. None mm-hmm. of this stuff. We literally did experiments over thirty years to ask what's driving the death of brain cells in degenerative diseases like Alzheimer's. And as we went along, we started to see, okay, this is how this works. Okay, at the center of this is a master switch. And okay, what affects that switch? And guess what, it turns out to be, we initially identified 36 different things. We now know there are about 40 or so, but it's not thousands. But what happened is exactly the way this disease works that you can actually see in a test tube and in transgenic mice, and now in humans, is the very things that functional medicine addresses. So what you what happens when you have Alzheimer's, you have a change in a network, uh, a functional network within your brain that affects millions of synapses. And that is affected by hormone levels and by infl- inflammation and various pathogens and various toxins. So we could see that in fact, this plugs directly into what is called functional medicine. Lucky for us, Because otherwise, we would have had to start from scratch and say, wait a minute, we have to use two or three things. And, you know, the idea that you would, with a complicated brain illness, have to use more than one drug, I mean, it makes perfect sense. But people have continued to go after this thing with a one-drug approach that really makes no biological sense.
0: Yeah. You know, one of the other things that I've really seen in recent years, again, I've I've seen this... um, this shift, you know, over the past 10 years towards functional medicine, doing things naturally. And also there's been a shift in testing in the past few years. I'd love to hear your thoughts because there are probably tests out there today that a lot of people don't even know exist. Can you share with us, what is some of the testing people are doing today in order to, or in tests that are going to be done in the future to be able to both prevent and treat Alzheimer's and other neurological conditions?
1: It's a great point and, you know that 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 really gets to the heart of the the revolution in practice of medicine. You know, I was taught 20th century medicine which is you make a diagnosis you say what it is you have no idea what's causing it usually and then you give a prescription which has nothing to do with what's actually causing the problem. You give an antihypertensive or an anti-diabetic drug or you give a cholinesterase inhibitor to try to stop Alzheimer's. None of these things works very well. So there's a fundamental change, and in fact, because of this, everything is backwards in the Alzheimer's field. You get a tiny data set. You look at someone's TSH, and you look at someone's B12, and then you say, you have Alzheimer's, it's a disease, we don't know what causes it, you're going to die, and we're going to give you Aricept. It's just a horrible, horrible, uh, you know, it's really barbaric the way it's currently being done on the other hand if you go from what's actually going on then number one you need a much larger data set you need to know the status of inflammation all the things that affect that balance that i mentioned that master switch which is called amyloid precursor protein that sits at the heart of Alzheimer's, you need to know what's driving that because everybody with Alzheimer's is on the wrong side of the switch. So you need to know things like your plasmalogen level as an example. a great test that's actually uh, been pioneered uh, by a wonderful biochemist named Dr. Dayan Goodnow. You may have talked to Dayan. He's done some very interesting biochemistry. What he was doing is looking for what's actually out there, what Changes in your blood when you have Alzheimer's disease, when you have cancer, other chronic illnesses. And what he ran into was this, this subgroup of, uh, of phospho lipids um, that are called plasmalogens that happen to be quite low in people with Alzheimer's. Zoe's done some beautiful work on that. And of course, you want to know if you have innate immune system activation. You know, COVID-19 has made, you know, basically been something that's caused so many of us to be sheltering in place and social distancing and all those things. And the comorbidities, as you know, are critical. Are you overweight? Do you have type 2 diabetes? Do you have low vitamin D? These are all critical. The same thing's important in Alzheimer's. It's just that COVID-19 has pushed them down into just a couple of weeks. And just, I should mention just for the magnitude, the, the, the expectation is that perhaps 450,000 Americans will die of COVID-19. We're about halfway to that. Those are pretty much the worst expectations. Alzheimer's is 100 times that, 45 million of the currently living Americans. So it is, Alzheimer's is actually 100 times the pandemic of COVID-19. So yes, you wanna know these various lipids. You wanna know your omega-3 to omega-6 ratio. You wanna know your SpO2. In fact, as your oxygenation drops at night, your brain size actually drops at night. Specific nuclei within your brain are associated with your average oxygenation during the night. So critical to know that. And as you know, so much quantified self now. We can measure our ketones, we can measure our glucose, we can look at our microbiome, we can look at our ApoE4 status, all these things which are fantastic. We can really get a hold of our own brain health much better than we ever could before. And then things like C4A, to know where you stand with your exposure to mycotoxins and looking at whether you've got mycotoxin exposure. The bottom line here is that anything that is an insult to your brain, you are responding by making this amyloid that we associate with Alzheimer's. So what we've always been told is a disease where there's this bad amyloid that collects in your brain. It's really the opposite. Your brain is responding to these outside insults, to insulin resistance, to sedentary lifestyle, to poor sleep, to chronic stress, all these things. By protecting itself, just as we've done with COVID-19, but by doing, in so doing, it's downsizing. Just as we're undergoing a recession.
0: You know, Doctor Brud uh, one of the things that just for everybody to hear this and in, in, in what we might compare it to uh, is, you know, let's talk heart disease for a second. You know, so many people try and put the blame on cholesterol. You know, it's all about having high cholesterol. Why is that high cholesterol there? Why is your body laying down cholesterol in the first place? It's your body's healing mechanism. Let's go to the root cause. That's one of the things that I love about. As I've read through uh, some of your book and other things that you've written over the years, is that you know we need to get to the root cause of the disease. And I've I've heard you mention several times inflammation, you know, inflammation being a key factor and what's causing this. And so as you're saying, your body is laying down this plaque and part of it is due to these onslaught of toxins and inflammation and other things. Well, what are some of the solutions there? Let me ask you in terms of a diet, what are some things that people absolutely need to stay away from? And what are some things that you recommend people start getting in there uh, for both prevention and healing? Is a great point. And you know,
1: root cause, I agree with you
0: completely. And it's really root
1: cause of inflammation. What's causing the inflammation? Because you don't want to just stop the inflammation and resolve it. You also want to get rid of the things that are causing the inflammation. So, in fact, yeah, there are many things. You mentioned diets. Let's start there. So we use something called KetoFlex 12.3, but it again is very much like what you have suggested over the years. It is a is a plant-rich mildly ketogenic diet, that there are the most data so far on ketogenesis as being critical for Alzheimer's and for, for cognition. And here's why, when you look at a PET scan of someone even 10 years before their diagnosis of Alzheimer's as they're entering, because it does take about 20 years from the beginning of the pathophysiological changes until a diagnosis of Alzheimer's. But even partway during that, you can begin to see changes in the metabolism in the brain. And what do you see? The hallmark of Alzheimer's and pre-Alzheimer's on a PET scan is reduction in glucose utilization in the temporal lobe and the parietal lobe. So you see these two L's basically in someone's brain, left side, right side, as they have this decrease. So we want to bridge that energy gap and the critical way to do that is to provide those ketones, and we typically target for anywhere between 1.0 and 4.0 millimolar beta-hydroxybutyrate, and if you prefer using a breathalyzer like a Biosense or something like that, then you want to use uh, over seven aces because then you're measuring, of course, acetone instead of the beta-hydroxybutyrate. Then you want to have, of course. All the great polyphenols, all the things that are coming, as you always talk about, is things that are critical phytonutrients. And then you want to have a critical period of fasting. This helps you to get into that insulin sensitivity. And then you want to have a high fiber in your diet because that is important for detoxification, improved lipid profiles, improved glycemic profiles, improved microbiome. So, in fact, diet is a huge player in cognitive decline. And on the flip side of that, the American diet has played a huge role in giving us increased risk for Alzheimer's disease. So certainly that's the place to start.
0: Yeah, I love that. And just just so everybody's hearing what what Doc is saying here is we're going through, you got to have some of these healthy fats, your body needs to be in a mild state of ketosis, as he's saying. And so again, getting the healthy saturated, the omega-3s, a lot of those monounsaturated fats from avocados and olive oil Almonds, those sorts of foods. You gotta get the fiber, right? Nuts and seeds, berries in smaller amounts, and then large amounts of vegetables, especially the non-starchy vegetables. And then I also want to mention this, you know, you um you 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 had referenced a few times in different ways, insulin, right? And sugar, and that being one of the root causes. Talk to me about this because we have seen over the years. I've read uh, medical articles where at points, in they've, they've been referencing it as this uh, you know many years now, but even calling Alzheimer's at times type three diabetes, why is that exactly? Yeah, it's a great point. And if you look at the overall
1: picture of this, type three diabetes is part of it. It's not the whole thing because there is inflammation, there are toxins and other things, but no question in virtually everybody with Alzheimer's disease, there is insulin resistance so literally you can measure the biochemical signature of insulin resistance in the brain and what that means is if you're looking at the insulin receptor this interacts with irs1 a signaling molecule inside the cell and irs1 gets phosphorylation on it when it's signaling positively and saying okay keep alive support this then you have tyrosine phosphorylation when it's signaling hold it resist we're not going to respond to insulin then you get serine and threonine phosphorylation so you can use that ratio and when you're insulin sensitive you've got a nice ratio you've got the high tyrosine and the low serine and threonine guess what with everybody with alzheimer's It's the opposite. You're actually measuring this resistance. And when we used to grow brain cells in the lab all the time, we would always have to include insulin in it. It's one of the most important growth factors for your neurons. It's not just about metabolism. It's also about keeping neurons alive. And of course, that comes back to what you said earlier. What foods do you want to avoid? Simple carbs, number one, because they will drive this insulin resistance. And there are you know, 100 million Americans or so who have insulin resistance. It's so incredibly common because of the diet, because of the lifestyle, because of the stress, because of the gut issues that so many of us have. So this is huge. And then of course, gluten and dairy, and then it's for some people, lectins these can be. and some people, these are a problem. In some people, they're not. But those are the big ones that you really have to stay away from to allow you to have the best neurochemistry. It's amazing how good your neurochemistry can be and how many of us have suboptimal neurochemistry because we're not doing the very things that you're teaching.
0: Yeah. And some of these things that you're mentioning here, again, the sugar, the refined grains, the starches, yeah. all of these things that either are sugar or break into sugar very quickly, the yes. biggest culprits. And of course, things like, you know, the hydrogenated oils, these are the things you're saying are causing that inflammation, that cascade of inflammation that's damaging the brain, that's damaging the entire body. Now, along with diet, what are there any other things that you've found through your research also are contributing to inflammation uh, that, that's, that's leading to uh, Alzheimer's?
1: Great point, and absolutely there. Are, so most of us have something that is that is causing at some time in our lives some systemic inflammation. And you mentioned you start with diet, but then you have leaky gut, and then so anyone with you know too much gluten who is sensitive to it, for example, or many other reasons um, that you could have this with you know change in microbiome, and then third cause. Oral microbiome changes, so many people have poor dentition. So it's you can actually measure this, of course, now with oral DNA test. You can look to see, do I have P. gingivalis, T. denticola, other of the bacteria, F. nucleotum, Prevotella, all these things are bacteria that are associated with periodontitis as pump some people have come to call this leaky gums instead of leaky gut it's leaky gums yeah. and these things also contribute these when you look if it's a pathologist you look in the brain of someone with Alzheimer's what do you find you find oral bacteria like P gingivalis you find molds so again that's another one molds in your sinuses another access these things actually access your brain you find things like Lyme disease, so so, so various spirochetes. These things are all, and of course, herpes simplex is another one. This goes into, literally climbs up the ganglion, can go into your brain. And in fact, a beautiful study out of Taiwan showing that people who treated their outbreaks of HSV-1 had a dramatically lower incidence of developing dementia in the future. So good idea. So you can have inflammation from all sorts of organisms. You can also have it, as you mentioned, from various biotoxins. So if you're sitting around with black mold in your home and you've got trichothecines in your body, you're gonna have an immune response against these, though. So over time, you're gonna have that same inflammatory response. So it's what you're eating, it's the way you're living, it's whether you're sleeping. Guess what? Sleep apnea. increased. A risk for dementia, increased risk for inflammation. And then, of course, as you know, things like poor gastric acid also contribute. That is not not killing the pathogens the way it should. It is changing your absorption of nutrients. So there are lots of these different causes of inflammation, and we want to track these down for each person.
0: So good. I want to just uh, encourage everybody uh, to remember I'm talking to Dr. Dale Bredesen, and he's the author of The End of Alzheimer's, and it has a new book out called The End of Alzheimer's Program, and it's the first protocol to enhance cognitive uh, and reverse decline at any age. And so if you're looking to boost your brain health, Uh, and prevent cognitive decline, then this is a fantastic book. A a mutual friend of ours, Dr. David Perlmutter, uh, uh, wrote the foreword to the book here, but you can go on amazon.com, go into local bookstores, and check out his new book, The End of Alzheimer's Program. Now, uh, Dr. Bredesen, one of the other questions I had is, I wanted to ask about exercise and oxygen. How does that affect the brain? And what does the research say about how both cardiovascular exercise And more anaerobic, like weightlifting. How do those two different types of exercise affect the brain? Should you do one or the other? What What do you recommend in terms of exercise? And does it make a difference? You know, this is such a great point.
1: As we've looked at this signaling through APP, what it's turned out is that energetics, along with inflammation, these are probably the two most important things. So, what happens in your brain? As I mentioned, there's a change in glucose utilization. It's a huge issue. And so, what How do you feed your brain? You've got to literally get enough support there to these 500 trillion synapses that you have in your brain. So that includes getting appropriate cerebral blood flow, huge, and many of us are not doing that. Secondly, it includes getting appropriate oxygenation and I mentioned nocturnal oxygenation also daytime is critical and then of course having the right substrates to burn so having the right mitochondria so mitochondrial support getting those ketones up there. So you've got to have that triad that's huge and again doctors typically don't measure this when you go in and say hey I'm having trouble with my memory I'm having trouble with my cognition so exercise is one of the critical ways it does improve cerebral blood flow and you really want both the aerobic exercise and the strength training and here's why the aerobic exercise is enhancing this blood flow absolutely is giving you better oxygenation is improving things like you know your nocturnal uh, cortisol you're you're relaxing more at night you're getting better sleep all of these are critical and of course it's improving your overall body composition but then the strength training is improving insulin resistance. Mm. You're getting more insulin sensitivity because there are insulin receptors on muscle and it's using this glycation, it's using the glucose, etc. So you really want to combine those. And you know, a nice way that people have been using, which I think is really turning out to be critical, is EWAT. And you've talked about this exercise with oxygen therapy. Yeah. This is something where you're now delivering It's essentially you're doing what Alzheimer's is taking away from you, you're delivering the oxygen, you're delivering the blood flow. And then you can even cycle so that you're doing this in a way that you get the best of both worlds. You get that hyper oxygenation when you're at the high oxygen, but then you get a relative hypoxia briefly that now stimulates more secretion of of factors, vasculogenic factors and trophic factors for the brain. So you really get the best of both worlds. And then you may know about katsu, which is a new thing that a lot of people have been using. It's actually been around for a while, but people are increasingly using it. This comes from Dr. Sato in Japan and again, essentially gives you more bang for your buck um, with exercise itself. And again, some elderly people have found dramatic improvements in cognition with using katsu. So there's a lot that you can do for cerebral blood flow, for appropriate oxygenation, and again, if there are problems at night, you can address those, and that's huge. Um, and then with getting the appropriate substrates, with getting that ketosis, you mentioned the the fats and the fat burning, these are all critical. You have to remember, you've got these incre- this incredible number of synapses and you've got to supply those. As we get older, they are increasingly poorly supplied and you've got to get the appropriate mechanisms
0: in place to supply those optimally. I love it, great advice. Hey guys, Dr. Axe here. I am so excited to share that my new book, Ancient Remedies, is already a bestseller. When I started writing this book, I talked to Dr. Oz about the content, and he was so excited that he wrote an endorsement for the book, which he rarely does. People like Carrie Underwood and Dr. Mark Hyman have been raving about the book, and find out why this book already has more than 500 five-star reviews on Amazon in just a few short weeks. Head to draxe.com forward slash ancient remedies to learn more about why this book will be your ultimate reference guide for healing over 70 health conditions, including problems related to your immunity, digestion, hormones, and more. Plus, it has over 70 simple and delicious healing recipes. Again, go to drax.com forward slash ancient remedies to learn more or get a copy today to see what all the buzz is about. Now, Dr. Bredesen, in your uh, practice and when you're treating people and in your books, how often do you recommend... You talked about diet. How often do you recommend supplementation? You know, there have been herbs that have been used for thousands of years, everything from ginkgo biloba to bacopa to CBD to turmeric and others. Are there any herbs, maybe a few I've listed or others, mushrooms, lion's mane? You know, all these things have been listed. Any other supplements? What are maybe your top five? Uh, you know, and you can do more or less, whatever you like. Sure. That you have recommended or prescribed to patients uh, over the last few years?
1: Yeah, you know, it's a great point. And and, you know, Dr. Josh, what we do is, it's not about what we're going to give. It's about what the target is. So we're looking Mm -hmm. at the biochemistry, and in fact, we're just finishing up, I should mention, we're finishing up the first trial in history in which instead of predetermining what you treat, all previous trials, as you know, you say, we're going to give Aricep, we're going to give Namenda, we're going to give whatever. In this case, we're doing the opposite. We're looking at each person who comes through and saying, what is missing for you? Is it the energetics? Is it the inflammation? Is it the hormones? And, and typically we find several things that are missing. And then we're targeting those with a precision medicine a personalized protocol. And that's really the, the new way to do it. That is a functional way to do it. And that is the way of the future for these. And so just seeing so fantastic results with this. So many people as you mentioned can in addition to the the diet exercise sleep stress brain training the basics you want to look at okay are there things we can supplement to get an even better result and yes there it depends on what your biochemistry is but here are the, some of the ones that i really find uh, time and time again are very helpful one of them is whole coffee fruit extract What does this do? It increases your BDNF. That is a critical, when we studied the molecular biology of Alzheimer's, one of the critical features is a molecule that binds to BDNF. So it is signaling to this pullback. We want to reverse that. We want to support people. So whole coffee, fruit extract, one of the great ones. I happen to like, for appropriate people, to use exogenous ketones, that would be the second Mm -hmm. thing. Um, I happen myself to take KE1 sometimes. There are others, of course, there are ketone esters, there are ketone salts, but making sure, now in the long run, of course, you want endogenous ketosis. That gives you some additional benefits. But I always remember when someone starts out, they are telling me they are experiencing a critical shortage of energy for their brain so we want to address that right away and typically just getting people started now we used to use a lot of mct oil of course that impacts your ldl particle number so we tend to use more on the ketone more on the exogenous ketone side until people can get into their own exogenous ketosis so that would be number two and then the third one Magnesium 3 and yeah. 8, um, which is again lots of work from Dr. Guosong Lu, uh, who is from MIT, who did some beautiful work showing that improving magnesium and it is low in the hippocampi of patients with Alzheimer's. Another one to improve that and get that optimal. Now, if you're not low in that, that's not such an issue, but again, targeting that optimization of your biochemistry. Um, and then, no question omega-3 related things. And I would start with resolvins, and of course, beautiful work out of Harvard from Professor Charles Searhan over the years, showing that it's not just about anti-inflammation. First, you have to resolve the inflammation, then you prevent further inflammation, and then I would go one step further and say, figure out what's causing that inflammation, as you and I talked about a few minutes ago, because you really wanna get rid of that. Otherwise, it's a short-term solution. So I would include both the resolvins and then ultimately high omega-3s. And of course, you can get this from the fish you're eating and you can get it from fish oil or krill oil, um, from algae, various ways. You want to get that DHA. And then to a lesser extent, you want to get the EPA as well. So these are all critical. And then the other one I would add is vitamin D. It's so obvious. It's so simple. But you've seen the data that have come out on COVID-19 you are not going to do nearly as well if you have a low vitamin D. And most of us are low in vitamin D. It's so incredibly common. And I would add to that one more thing, which is zinc. So many of us are deficient in zinc, iodine, vitamin D, and and omega-3s. These are all critical pieces. So again, what we're doing is simply optimizing the neurochemistry based on what your profile is. And this is where computers are going to play an increasingly important role. They're already doing this for precision medicine, for oncology, looking at what genes are critical for each tumor. We're increasingly now doing this using algorithms so that we can now learn much more than any single person can learn and give you the optimal outcome.
0: I love it. Great, great recommendations. You know, the coffee, uh, you know, the, the coffee cherry extract is 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 really really powerful. You know, for increasing blood flow to the brain, I remember reading that research. You know, megas are so important. You talked about the phospholipids, the importance of fat, and really supporting your brain in that way. And uh, you're right, vitamin D and zinc. I mean, both great for the brain, great for the immune system. And uh, yeah, I, I love these recommendations. They're 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 fantastic. Well, anything else you want to Share with us, too. Anything else? That, because you talked about a lot of great stuff. Get, what to get out in terms of diet, what to get in. Talked about exercise. We talked about supplementation. Anything else that you feel like, hey, this is an important practice or thing to make sure to stay away from? Or any other thoughts regards to uh, fighting uh, Alzheimer's and uh, neurodecline? absolutely and so what i would say is we are
1: changing we're changing the way and we have to change the way we think about these things so first thing recommend everybody 45 years of age or older please get a cognoscopy everybody knows to get a colonoscopy when we turn 50 so that we're not going to have problems down the road with with colon, colorectal cancer but we should also remember our brains so as we hit 45 or if we're already older than 45 please Get a cognoscopy, it's a series of blood tests, it's a simple online cognitive assessment, and then if you're already having symptoms, you want to include an MRI with volumetrics. The bottom line is we can decrease dramatically the global burden of dementia if everyone will get in early. If you don't do that, please, if you have even initial symptoms, because as you know, this stuff can sneak up on you, Please get in as early as possible. We've trained 1,500 doctors now all over the world, 10 countries and all over the U.S. Please get in as early as possible. Get on a personalized protocol so that you can reverse your cognitive decline and better yet prevent your cognitive decline because this is, as you know, this is such a horrible thing for families.
0: Yep, I couldn't agree more. Well, I want to encourage everybody, check out Dr. Bredesen's new book, It's called The End of Alzheimer's Program. And the thing I love about this is it's not just a book. It is an entire program walking you through what to do in order to prevent and fight cognitive decline in Alzheimer's disease. You can go on Amazon.com, BarnesandNoble.com, but just search the name uh, Dr. Bredesen or just look up The End of Alzheimer's. Program uh, there in your search engine or run at your local bookstore, bookstores nationwide. And want to say again, thanks to Dr. Dale Bredesen for being here with us today and for being a pioneer and really teaching people how to heal their brains and heal their bodies. Thanks so much, Dr. Josh. Really appreciate it. Hey guys, thanks so much for tuning in to this week's episode. Make sure to go to my recent Instagram post and let me know what your favorite part of the show was. Also, don't forget to follow me at Dr. Josh Axe there on Insta where I cover the latest health trends, natural medicine, and so much more. Also, if you're loving this podcast, do me a big favor, head over to Apple Podcasts, subscribe, and leave a five-star review. Thanks so much for being on mission with me. See you next week.
1: This podcast is for information purposes only. Statements and views expressed in this podcast are not medical advice and have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. Opinions of guests are their own, and this podcast does not endorse or accept responsibility for statements made by guests. In some cases, individuals on this podcast may have a direct or indirect financial interest in products or services referred to herein.